Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to this week's podcast. I think I finally have my recording setup nailed down. I have a Sony a6300 mirrorless camera with a 35mm prime lens, f1.8 for uh, fellow photo nerds. And I also have a Rode lapel mic I'm using now, which is not quite as good as the Blue Yeti for vocal quality, but it doesn't pick up all the crazy noise, you know, all the... Uh, sirens and hatred and murder going on right outside me in Manhattan. Uh, so I think I'm back on track for where I'm supposed to be with camera equipment. The only issue is that a lot of people still complain that my voice and video are slightly off sync, but I really do test it on multiple devices, so I'm not really sure how to fix that. I'll work on it eventually, uh, but I really am just trying to work on getting everything as high quality as possible. So uh, I'd like to jump into the news. I'm going to have to do half today, Saturday, and the other half on Tuesday, just like last week. So hopefully I won't have another stupid injury like last week. I won't have like half of the side of my face missing on Tuesday night. But uh, knock on wood, hopefully we're good to go. But let's jump right into it. First up is something I actually missed last week. I recorded the section, but it got deleted. I don't know. It was a rough week. But (laughs) um, the open source scan converter just had firmware version 0.81 released. That included things like hybrid scan lines, multiplication-based scan lines, and a whole bunch of other really cool features. So, uh, you know, huge thanks to Marcus to continuing to develop and work on this amazing project. And this is still by far my favorite scaler for older consoles onto flat-screen displays, or even VGA monitors. I know Carsey was just playing around with taking the OSSC and doubling 240p sources to go right into a VGA monitor. He's getting great results with that, so... Uh, A lot of people are really uh, starting to realize the true potential of the OSSC, and with Marcus's continual updates, I I think this is going to be our go-to scaler for until Marcus comes out with the next one, I guess. A video was just posted about Voltar's RGB mod for the IFU adapter for the PC Engine and TurboGrafx systems, and the way his board works is instead of modding the console or using an external adapter like the DB Graphics Booster, you would just use the IFU interface unit so that the unit itself that you plug the CD drive and the PC engine into. And his new board allows you to mod that IFU unit without any extra interference that you might find that the IFU would normally introduce into a scenario like this. So for me personally, I still prefer my internal mods or just the very easy snap on the back like the DB Graphics Booster. But for anybody that's needing to use the IFU module to get RGB out, I think this is probably the best solution for you. The Behar brothers just announced that they're going to be selling their own high-quality PlayStation component video cable, which is great because we need more options. Uh, Obviously, I'm friends with HD Retrovision and with the Behar brothers, and I really do think there's room for both of them in here because, uh, first of all, they, they operate out of two different sides of the planet, Uh, And, I mean, just the more the merrier for options for this. I haven't had a chance to test this myself, but I'm a fan of their work, and I really, this reminds me, I have to check back in with Yossi and see what he's been up to. Um, Yossi, if you're watching this, send me an email, and if not, uh, I'll contact you soon. Sega Sonic Band just posted a video about his new Sega Genesis controller adapter, and this one takes the Genesis controller and allows it to work on the Commodore 64, Amiga, Atari, Spectrum, and SMS. So you might say, well, it already does work with the SMS, but not with all games, and I believe the buttons are mapped to 2 and 3 as opposed to 1 and 2. 
So while I have no experience with the board at all, um, it does seem like a good solution. I'd love to test it out myself and make sure it doesn't add any controller lag or anything. Uh, but overall, it just seems like a pretty cool adapter for people that want to use the Genesis controller on different consoles. Since the last podcast, RedGuy has actually posted two updates for the SD to SNES Super FX firmware and just more awesome progress. So I'll get into a little more details into that later on in the show, but I just wanted to single this out and say thank you once again to RedGuy for his awesome work. And just anybody that has an SD to SNES should now be playing through the FX games and really being able to see what they're like. And uh, just thanks again for donating all your awesome work. Some more SD to SNES news. Akari just announced that he's adding a menu option so that you could adjust the brightness for games being played on a one-chip console. So it's not the same as the hardware fix, but holy crap, now just by playing through an ST to SNES, you could kick the brightness down a little bit and make the games look closer to the way they're supposed to. A phenomenal option, and really just, I don't know, so much cool stuff for the SNES coming out these days. It makes me very happy to be a fan of the console. So as always, thank you to Akari for all the stuff you do and donate for us, and hopefully I can get you on for an interview at some time. And for anybody that might have an SD to SNES or any other ROM cart for the Super Nintendo that doesn't have a case, I saw on eBay there's a seller for just about $5 US shipped that's selling some pretty cool looking clear SNES cartridges. So I just figured I'd mention it just as a very cheap option in case you needed a case because I do love the way clear shells look. I just, I always like the way, uh, I always like to see the electronics inside of what I'm using. Jimmy Hoppe just posted a cool video about the first 3D horror game on the 3DO called Dr. Hauser. So uh, I enjoy stuff like this, and I obviously enjoy Jimmy's channel. And uh, if anybody's interested, definitely check out his video, and I hope to have him back on on the podcast soon for another crazy day drinking session. I saw on Artemio's Twitter feed, he had linked a video about where the word byte comes from in the computer world. Uh, and being a computer nerd my whole life, IT guy, uh, I do really enjoy stuff like this. And I always enjoy the story behind the story. So I figured I'd share this video as well for anybody else that might be interested. There's now a Switch emulator for Mac and PC that's booting official games. Not all of them, and it's still really in the alpha process, but I just thought it was very cool, and I always love to see stuff like this. And you never know how far things, things can be taken. And a perfect example of that is the Dolphin emulator, which makes uh, GameCube and Wii games look phenomenal. So uh, hopefully they'll be able to do some awesome things with this, and anytime there's going to be real progress on it or any significant updates, I'll definitely let everybody know. Kelsey Lewin just posted a video on the Life Fitness Cycle, which is basically an exercise bike that was designed to work with the Super Nintendo. And it was a really great video that dug into the history of it, uh, showed some of the Sega alternatives, and I thought it was really well done. Uh, I've had mixed feelings about some of these famous YouTube channels, and uh, I'm not usually a fan of, the, of their stuff. And I know I'm, I'm probably going to get shit all over in the comments for saying that, but I just, I like what I like. I can't help it. And this one stands above. I mean, this is a great video that tells, does a great job telling the history behind this thing. So if anybody was wondering about the Exertainment bike for the Super Nintendo, uh, definitely give this one a shot. I just wanted to follow up with something that I mentioned right before I went on break. The Atari Jaguar Pro Controller reproduction seems like it's getting on its way. And you still have to order a pair, um, but... It looks like you're able to pre-order right away, and I think they're shipping relatively soon. 
I'm really interested to get one in to try out. Um, I know with the, the Jaguar ROM cart coming up, hopefully relatively soon, that um, this would probably be a fun thing to mess around with. So I'm going to try to get my hands on one. Uh, maybe Scott and I will uh, will chip in and, and buy a pair and each get one. But I'll definitely do it, at least a mini review when I get it, just to see the build quality and how it feels. Extremes just posted another update to the Game Boy interface. This time it adds the Super Game Boy Color Palette settings to both the speedrunning and high-fidelity versions. So, very cool feature. Um, he said he ended up half-assing the feature, but it seems to work, so I'm not sure what that means, but thanks again for all the updates. Okay, back with the second half. I didn't get uh, injured, or at least a new face injury this time over the weekend, but I did go see Beast's fighting tournament down at iFix Arcade, so let's check it out. What's happening, dude? And uh, tonight, it's May 5th. We're running the Dusty Knuckle Saloon second section, the runback, featuring Street Fighter 3 Second Impact, Street Fighter 2 Hyper Anniversary Edition, and Battle K Road. Come on in, check it out. As usual, they had all of the sit-down candy caps configured and ready to go with the original games to play this on. So that's always really important to me, is especially in a tournament setting. If you want to make sure you're using real equipment and real hardware, and there were actually three different games and three different winners. So I had Beast talk a little bit about that. Uh, yes, it's three different winners, three different games. Traffic? Yeah, straight through. And it's all just regular elimination? Yes, double elimination for all three games. All in all, it was a pretty good turnout and good times as always. So I'll definitely be back for the next one and hopefully we'll be able to cover it in a lot more detail. Mike Chi just opened up pre-orders on a pre-production run of his RetroTINK 2X product, which is the line doubler or pass-through for composite video, component video, and S-video to HDMI. And this is a pre-production run, so he's using this to, to make the final tweaks on his design to test the production run itself, and really just to get people's feedback. So because it's what he's calling a pre-production run, uh, he's offering a full money-back guarantee if there's any issues with anything. And he's actually doing something pretty interesting in that if there's any major change or major update between this run and what will be the final product, he's offering that, uh, to allow people to swap theirs out. So I think this is absolutely awesome, and I hope more people jump on board for stuff like this. Um, it's impossible for a small group of people to test a product as much as everybody that will be buying it. So being able to have um, willing beta testers, you know, I, I think is a great idea, and it's something that I would love to continue to be part of. Because if somebody says, hey, here's a finished product, and I get it, and there's bugs... You know, I can't, I'm only human. I just, I can't help getting annoyed. But if somebody says, hey, you know, I'm doing a beta run on something, would you want to test it? If it works, great, cool. And if not, ship it back or, you know, maybe I'll swap it out for another one. Hell yeah. I'm always on board for stuff like that. So thanks to Mike for being open and honest uh, and just letting us all be part of the beta program. Uh, I mean, I, I've had this 2X for a little while, and so far I think it's going to be fine, but who knows? I'm just really glad that he has an open attitude about all this stuff. So I can't wait to do more testing. Uh, it will ship in four to six weeks, and just check it out on his website. Uh, and when you go, you just have to scroll down to, uh, until you see the RetroTINK 2X. And in fact, I think I've been showing the wrong thing the entire time I was here. Yeah, showing the wrong thing. Here it is. So make sure to scroll down like I just did. <laughs> <laughs> the first reviews of Crix's wireless controller for the Genesis are in, and uh, they're mostly positive, but the one thing that people are talking about is the D-pad is crooked. 
Um, mine is on order and en route. Supposedly it'll show up probably next week, I would think, because it's coming from across the planet. Uh, but overall, everything's positive except the crooked D-pad. Uh, and Crick said he's going to talk to his manufacturer about it, but it looks like it's not centered and a manufacturing flaw. Um, you could take a D-pad out of uh, either the original controller or uh, the person who posted the review used one for the Hyperkin GN6 and said it fits perfect. So hopefully Crick's will, uh, will fix this and kind of figure out what happened with the placement of the D-pad. But I'm excited to get mine because uh, I, I really would... My life would be much easier if I had wireless controllers for all the consoles I used the most. Uh, and I want lag-free wireless controllers. So hopefully this is it, and I'll test it as soon as I get mine in. Super G just announced that he's working on an updated version of the G-SCART Switch. And I'm really excited, because that's definitely my favorite SCART Switch. Um, it's having two major updates. First, it'll support Sync on Green, which is a nagging issue for people that use PlayStation 2 and want to keep all resolutions, 240p, 480i, and 480p, all through their SCART setup without having to switch cables or do anything else. At the moment, you can do the C-Sync mod to your PlayStation 2, but it's not easy. So this is really just a great solution for people that have a multi-sync monitor and just want to plug everything through their G-SCART. The next thing that Super G is implementing is input protection. So that way, if you have a super gun manufacturer that wants to make their super guns out of spec and then tries to blame the switch manufacturer, that's not even an issue anymore because he's going to make sure that there's input protection built in. Now, this doesn't mean you could plug, you know, 100 volts into it, but it just means if things are outside of spec, um, there should be some protection built in just to kind of help things out. So overall, I really love all of the G-SCART switches. Um, they're not the perfect solution for everybody. Some people really just need a cheap, dumb switch. Other people need the opposite. They need uh, more ports and they need a matrix switch like the Xtron Crosspoints. So I, this is really the perfect solution for people that just want to use SCART cables into their consoles. Um, you know, I've been accused of... of uh, favoritism and fanboy stuff before, but the truth is I'm a fanboy of products, not brand. I'm not brand loyal. No offense to Super G. He is a buddy of mine, but um, I'm all about the best products. So I'm standing by the G-SCART switch until the day something better comes out, because up until now, for SCART use, this is definitely, in my opinion, the best solution for it. Um, and he keeps adding new features and new tweaks. You know, the last time it was the sync regeneration and stuff like that. So it's exciting products, and I really enjoy using them. And he also mentioned that he might be working on an update to the G-Comp switch as well, his composite or component video switch. So I'll keep everybody updated, and hopefully I can get a prototype in to test pretty soon. Someone's now selling short lengths of multi-core shielded cable, which is kind of a big deal for people that really wanted to make their own for whatever reason, because the only way you could buy that stuff cost-effectively is to buy a ton of it. Otherwise, you're paying like $10 a foot or something like that. So this guy bought a reel of 500 feet, and now he's sharing it with the community for not much over cost. Uh, I think I got five feet for like 15 bucks or something like that. I think a little less. Uh, it's a great deal for people that want to mess with making their own multi-core shielded cables, um, which is important because each individual core has their own shielding. Uh, it's a ridiculous pain in the ass to make cables this way. So if you like a challenging product or if you project, or if you really just have a need for this, for something that you're working on, definitely grab it because there's no other way to get it cheaper. 
But if you're really just doing this because you want to make your own RGB cables, you're definitely going to want to know what you're getting into. And he even has a warning and a, a mini guide up here that gives tips as well because it's not an easy thing to do. But hey, if you needed it, here's your chance. A few people had contacted me last week after my rant about the Mega Man reissues. And the messages I got were uh, pretty surprising and really insightful. So I just wanted to, to reiterate a bunch of what they had said. And basically, most people agreed with my, my scathing opinion of these things. However, there's a couple of points. Um, if the company wants to sell these things, they're going to get made either way. So it would be much better that they're made from a company that will actually put the time into doing it right and not just some cheap uh, you know, production house that's going to stamp these things out and not care. So as long as the company who's making the PCBs does a good job, make sure if you feel like ranting the way I did that um, your, uh, your anger is directed towards the marketing side of things, the reseller, and not the actual PCB manufacturers, because it, they're not at fault for doing anything. As long as they make a quality product, people are allowed to sell it for whatever they want. It's nobody's business. So uh, I, I really, uh, I forgot to make that point in my rant, and I just wanted to mention it again, because the messages I got were 100% right. Whether you think the Mega Man reissues are the greatest thing in the world, or you think they're dumb and a waste of money, um, don't fault the people that are manufacturing them, just, you know, the people who are trying to sell them to everybody. So good point, and I hope uh, that didn't get misconstrued too badly. Tomorrow night, this Thursday, the Retro Roundtable is back again. I will be back on this one. Uh, this one's going to be a little bit more chill. Um, hopefully you guys will like it. If not, just let us know and we'll, we'll change it up for next time. But I'm very happy to be back. I'm very uh, appreciative that these guys even want me back. I think all of the episodes since I took a break were by far their most watched episodes. So, uh, you know, fuck all you guys. And uh, <laughs> well, I'd love to see everybody there tomorrow night. Um, I understand that time zones in life, you can't always be there live. It is a ton of fun for the people to jump on the chat. Uh, but either way, it'll be available pretty much immediately for anybody that wants to watch it on YouTube uh, without doing it live. So thanks to those guys to continue to do this podcast. And of course, thanks to everybody that watches and participates, because that's what really makes it fun. Nintendo has just released details of their Switch online service. It'll either be $3.99 a month, $7.99 for three months, or $20 annually. Not bad. Um, and there's also going to be an option for $35, which allows up to eight accounts to be linked to one plan, which is kind of cool for families. Um, also, they have announced that um, they are not going to be releasing a virtual console in the traditional sense, um, but they are releasing 20 NES games uh, that will be allowed on this service. They've listed the first 10 right now, and I guess another 10 will be coming soon. So it's pretty interesting. Um, the one other thing they announced that I thought was pretty cool, though, uh, is cloud saves are also coming in the September update. So maybe they finally just realized that hackers are giving people a reason to jailbreak their switches. So maybe now just by giving people what they should have in the beginning, less people would want to jailbreak. But hopefully it all works out, and I'm looking forward to trying it when it's released. Prince of Persia is now the latest Super Nintendo game to get an MSU1 hack, and this time it's using music from the Mega Drive and PC Engine versions. 
And I think these are more of my favorites of the MSE1 uh, Super Nintendo hacks. I think some of the ones that stand out that I didn't realize were as cool as they were until I played them were like the Street Fighter MSU, so you can get the true arcade audio on your Super Nintendo version, which reminds me uh, Mortal Kombat would be freaking awesome if somebody could do that as well. But right now you have the you know official audio from the Sega CD and PC Engine ver- PC Engine CD, but now on the Super Nintendo. So very cool, and thank you to the developers for making these. And speaking of MSU hacks, I wanted to talk about what I mentioned last week about how come people don't just put everything on romhacking.net. And Dylan Morrison, the guy who did Dancing Mad MSU one, kind of chimed in on that and had some pretty good insight. But basically, the way these files are set up they're not really in a place where you could post them on romhacking.net and you're also not really allowed to post work in progress stuff and also a lot of developers already post on github so uh, or, or whatever original place that they wanted to so just constantly having to post in many different places is a bit of a burden so i completely get it um i think maybe then github would be a good place for now but if there's a way to keep a central repository for the github locations um, and I'd be very happy to help with that. I'd definitely be able to, even in its uh, current state, I'd be able to add a page to the website where people could just submit URLs, and then that way we could have just one place to go look for the MSU1 hacks, even if the links actually go to multiple places. But that's something I'd like to work on in the future. So maybe if my wiki ever comes out, um, then it'll probably have a section for things like this as well. So thank you, Dylan, for taking the time to give the insight. And uh, I guess it's not as easy as I'd hoped, but hopefully we can come up with a solution so we can have one cool repository for all those awesome MSU1 hacks. Up next, this week's Patreon giveaway. So as promised, to make up for everybody getting charged in a month that they weren't supposed to, every other week I'm going to be giving something away. So announce it one week, do the drawing the next week, and so forth, until we're back in June when things are going back to normal. So this one's a little bit silly, and I'd like to call it the YouTube Superstar Giveaway. Um, I will start out with something that I got at a trade show. Uh, I went up to Pat Contry's booth when I I first got there. It was actually with Cousin Scott. And I'm always really respectful of people who work trade shows, because I used to do the grueling you know, six trade shows a year, including CES, which is five days of hell. So I I try to never bother anybody. you know, first day, the beginning of the day. So I went over to introduce myself because we'd exchanged messages before and just wanted to say hi. And he kind of said, hi, uh, so this one's damaged. So he just, he just assumed I was there to buy a book and I was not. <laughs> so I bought it anyway because I felt bad. Uh, and the book is, you know, a little bit damaged, but it's actually really cool. Um, it's, I guess the best way to describe it would be call it a coffee table book for computer for nest lovers i guess um but it's you know it's just one of those things it really is kind of a work of art it has all the different pictures from the games and screenshots and his own little descriptions of them and it's got all of the official nintendo games in here so i actually thought this was really cool i just didn't want to buy it because i have no room to put it i live in a closet so um but if anybody wants it post down below and as a bonus i have something else to include in my youtube superstar giveaway Uh, Last year, I was contacted by Joe Redifer asking for help with something, and I shipped him something, uh, so uh, my open source scan converter, actually, so that he could test it for himself and see how it works. And when he sent it back, I said, hey, you know, would you mind doing an interview for my channel? Because, you know, you 
that make a lot of videos, but there isn't a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff. Maybe I could just do a fun little interview. Uh, and he sent me this in lieu of an interview. So uh, if you're a GameSack fan, you get a brand new, unopened Blu-ray of Volume 2 of GameSack. And if you're not a GameSack fan, uh, you could toss the disc in the garbage and you have yourself a perfectly good Blu-ray case to use. So uh, there you go. Post down below in the Patreon page, not in this YouTube page. Uh, if you're interested for the YouTube Superstar giveaway, a little bit silly. I actually think the book is quite nice for anybody that has the room to display it. Um, but, you know, it's certainly not, uh, certainly not the greatest giveaway I've done, but I think it's kind of neat, and hopefully at least a few of you guys will too. So uh, post down below on the Patreon page, and I will do the drawing next week. Up next, I check in with Smoke Monster and talk about some of the things I missed while I was away, as well as a few of the things that I consider him one of the experts in. But before I do that, I really just wanted to mention his Patreon channel, because he's one of the people, much like Firebrand X, whose Patreon channel I mentioned last week, uh, he's one of those people that does a ton of behind-the-scenes work for the community, and really does it all for free. Um, Smoke Monster's going to continue to do this stuff, uh, I just really love that he opened a Patreon, so now we could all sign up and show our support. And I do really love the whole concept behind Patreon is just get, you know, if everybody who's a fan of somebody just throws a dollar a month, you know, it's uh, that starts to really add up and starts to really help. So I want to get a lot more equipment in the hands of Smoke Monster and Firebrand X, just like I mentioned last week. So if you use his ROM packs and you rely on his info uh, as I do, then please consider signing up for his Patreon. But uh, now let's talk to him directly and hear about a bunch of the cool stuff that uh, he's been working on and that I missed while I was away. Hey everybody, I'm here with Smoke Monster for a quick chat on all the things I missed on the ROM side of things. What's up, man? How you doing? Thanks for having me on again and uh, welcome back, man. Yeah, Everybody's thank you. Just floored that you're back and uh, <laughs> you're back in act uh, full blast here. It looks like you've got awesome new camera set up and uh things are looking really good i love the new format yeah thanks very much so i can't have a chat with smoke monster without at least having a little bit of absinthe uh so this is a mini doc uh, doc henson's doc herson's nice. red he has red green and clear which is strange uh, it is actually kind of early so i'm only going to have one <laughs> kind of a one small glass and then i'm just going to mostly be drinking fizzy water because i really like fizzy water but for uh for everybody at home watching here's the starting color Ooh. And then, uh, yeah, we'll yes. see that turn before the end of the chat. So. I'm jealous, as <laughs> always. I'm still just on coffee here. <laughs> yeah, well, I am mostly doing fizzy water. I'm not. It's not going to be like a Jimmy Hoppe interview where I get wasted at nine nine o'clock in the morning or something. But yeah, stream for twelve hours. Yeah. Playing PC Engine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, I missed a lot. I missed a lot of stuff, um, and you have been staying on top of it, uh, at the very least, the ROM stuff, but uh, you've been keeping me uh, in the loop of a lot of, I don't know, a lot of the arcade stuff as well, but I think, um, you know, not to, not to skip to the, to the climax here, but I think the thing that really blew me away the most was the Super NT jailbreak and the FX chip stuff, so do you want to yeah. give us like a <laughs> Super NT jailbreak rundown? Yeah, it was crazy how uh, you went off the air and then it was like a week or two when Super Nintendo World just kind of lit up. And I really felt like um, that was... I'll go back. So that was... Uh, everybody was out looking for the Super NT jailbreak. I don't know if everybody remembers that, but we were all 
theorizing on it. We all had kind of conspiracy theories. Was it going to show up? Wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Lots of people thought it wasn't going to. And, you know, and I was looking like everybody else. And uh, one day I'm just on my computer and uh, I was contacted uh, to become the person who releases the jailbreak, uh, which is kind of perfect. Crazy. Perfect and Probably fitting. Because <laughs> they do on GitHub and stuff and they wanted it out that way. Um, so, yeah, so it was February, um, was it Valentine's Day, February 14th, mm-hmm. and uh, it went crazy. Everybody freaked out. The initial jailbreak was really uh, like a nitty-gritty release, and it basically just gave you the uh, SD card support loading ROMs that way. So if anybody doesn't know, your Super NT by analog is like a hardware implementation of the Super Nintendo by Kevtris, and... Uh, on the side, it has a little port just like the NT Mini had for updating your firmware for an SD card. And now with the jailbreak, you just copy it, the, the new firmware on there, flash it, and you can load ROMs just like an SD2S NAS or Super EverDrive or something right off the SD card. So it's definitely some added value there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's flowered since then. There have been several releases. Um, since that initial release, I started managing the project on GitHub along with uh, my friend Frederick Mahi. And uh, I've also got, nobody knows about this, but I'll, I'll put it out there now since you're on the team, but I've got two different squads of like um, Skunkworks teams that do things, little testing projects for uh, like beta, beta jailbreak and whatnot, things that go on behind the scenes. And uh, it's a really elite team, and uh, I won't say who's on it besides Bob, but I think people would be kind of floored. And you're welcome to speak about it if you're on the team. Just uh, like I always say, don't give out uh, details that haven't been made public yet. Well, I'll happily speak about the fact that I have been completely useless. I'm sorry. But uh, once my uh, time frees up soon... God, I'm mumbling my words. I haven't even taken the first sip of absinthe yet. (laughs) Uh, Once my time frees up soon, I'll definitely be contributing a hell of a lot more because I've been tremendously useless to you guys up until now. Sorry. Well, the initial testing was all like right when you got your new job and you were in the middle of moving or something. And I remember it was really crazy for you. And then yeah. it's really slowed down since that first, you remember all the bugs on the first release and those mm-hmm. have all been kind of worked out. So yeah, from here on, it'll be much more fun kind of testing where it'll be like one little thing at a time or just, you know, playing with it, making mm-hmm. sure nothing else, uh, you know, is affected. So from because what I understand, it, though, it's, um, it is only the regular ROMs. So it's essentially the same compatibility as, like, a Super EverDrive, and you don't get the extra chip support. Is that correct? Yeah. So because of the way that um, it works, the jailbreak, it's different. The SD2S NAS has cart access. So, like, if you're going to put a special chip BIOS on there, you know, there's still that communication with the cart. Mm-hmm. The way that the jailbreak works... It's copying your ROM straight from the SD card into RAM, mm-hmm. and so there's no way to communicate back and forth with like the extra processor or whatever in the special chip or whatever the enhanced capabilities are. Mm-hmm. So special chips, before anybody asks, are probably, I mean, I, I'll just say probably not ever going to happen. Mm-hmm. Some people think that maybe DSP-1, which is like uh, Mario Kart and Pilot Wings, they think maybe that's possible, but I wouldn't hold your breath on it. If you want special chips, the SD2S NES is the best option. It's fully compatible, and uh, we'll talk about some more about that in a little bit. Yeah. 
So overall, uh, that seems pretty awesome. So uh, as it is, I think the Super NT is a great product, and anybody looking to play Super Nintendo on a flat screen, that's the best option. Uh, and the only time I would think maybe you shouldn't buy it is if you already own a Super Nintendo with a, you know all the great mods to it and an open-source scan converter, and a TV that's compatible. So that's pretty much the only other scenario I would not... I would say that you don't need one. But, uh, I mean, even I have all those things, and I still enjoy mine. And then with mm-hmm. this jailbreak on top of it, while it's not as extensive as the, you know, the SD to SNES, it certainly makes it... It just bumps up the value that much more, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it as somewhere between... It seems better than a Super Everdrive in a lot of ways, and then not quite at the level of an SD2S, so it's sort of in the middle. Yeah. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, how do we justify this? Like, we have stacks of Super Nintendos, stacks of Super Famicoms. We do the majority of our gaming on PVMs and stuff, and yet we still buy a Super NT when it comes out. But yeah. it has a place, especially for me here in Brazil, it, it travels well and everything. Yeah, and I think with something like that, while and I, this this comment isn't meant to take away from the design of it at all, the bottom line is this is a new product that if it breaks, you can buy another one. Whereas, you know, while you could still get one chips, a lot of these original Super Nintendos, the rare one chip models, you got to do all these mods. I really wouldn't feel comfortable throwing one in my bag and bringing it somewhere to, especially then throwing my OSSC, all the cables, everything else. Mm-hmm. Whereas if nothing That's else, right. you know, here, yeah. yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I could throw this in my bag and uh, if it breaks, I'll be incredibly sad and then I'll just go order another one and not have to worry. Whereas if I got my bag stolen with all of that other equipment in, I'm out, you know, three or four times the price depending on what equipment's in there. So... For that fact alone, it's a it's a, a worthy piece of equipment. But yeah, definitely. And then, cool. um, oh, I did forget one thing though. Mm-hmm. Going back to special chips, so there was some confusion because um, so there's the Star Ocean that's patched to not really need its SDD one chip. It's um, they just decompressed it and uh, decrypted it as a ROM hack, and then you can play either the original or the uh, English translation. Okay. And originally, that ROM wouldn't work on the jailbreak, and it was like, "Well, what's going on?" Because uh, according to the specs, like it should work; it fits in the RAM and everything. And I was talking to the jailbreaker, and I sent I sent them the uh, those two ROMs to test with. And in the next revision, we got a uh, Star Ocean support, so there is one special chip game. Okay. If that counts for anything. Yeah. Uh, basically, because they removed the need for the special chip, but that's a a pretty cool value. That's an expensive little repro and. Uh, yeah, it's a SD2 SNS only really kind of thing. Gotcha. And then also uh, on that same firmware, I think Copy SNES came in. Right. Which, so uh, that really uh, that is, you could take your own carts and you could copy both, uh, either or the save game or the ROM itself to the SD card. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's the first really mainstream ROM dumping tool for uh, Super Nintendo. And it's, I mean, I was really uh, testing. I, people sent me a bunch of their dumps at the, the beginning, and I was t- testing them. They're the same. In 99% of cases, they are bit-perfect matches to no intro. It's crazy. Huh. And on the very first day that CopySnest came out, there were three new never-before-seen revisions. They came through me, and then you put me in contact with Frank Cifaldi. I passed those on to him, and I think I've managed to get them into no intro now, too. Great. Like day one, out of nowhere, three new Super Nintendo revisions of games that had never been seen before. It's it's insane. And you think you 
you think about how that's going to change as more and more people start dumping their ROMs, like there could be a lot of cool stuff out there. Yeah, so I just want to repeat what you said because I, I don't want that to be lost on somebody who's driving in their car and maybe not 100% paying attention like I do with podcasts sometimes. What you just said was that because the Super NT offers this feature for free, unofficially of course, but whatever, just since this has been released, you've found a bunch of uh, ROM dumps that had never before been dumped to ROMs because you don't need crazy specialty equipment. You just plug your game into this thing, press the button, and it dumps it to a ROM. Yeah, so. and like your childhood, you know, you have a link to the past and you have all your saves on it. And right now, any day you turn your, your card on, the, the battery could be dead and you could lose those saves. It's the same thing, like you can back up not only the ROM, you get your save games off it and everything's safe there. And then you can can you the, dump the uh, save to a game with this yet? Not yet, but there is talk about that. It's a, it's technically possible. Put awesome. It so the last question Watch I have about this is the latest jailbreak firmware matching the latest official firmware. Yeah, so the, the way that it works is the jailbreak will always follow an official release. It's kind of like... Um, a parasite or something, you know, it, it's built always on the core of the latest um, official release. So you'll never see like a jailbreak come out before the official release or anything like that. Right, but if they go to the GitHub right now, the one that they download is the exact same as the current official release just with the jailbreak capabilities. So you don't lose yes. any of those new features. No, so there's really, there's no reason to stay on the official firmware unless you just are you know, can't be bothered to uh, spend a couple minutes doing it. You don't lose anything by doing it. You get, it's like the exact same thing. You know, it's like the GT model. It's like everything plus these extra capabilities. Gotcha. So um, I see you have a video about the, the, the whole experience of releasing the jailbreak. You also did a bunch of streams uh, as well as tested 178 Super Mario World hacks. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I did that. So I will put links to on, all that, that stuff. That was on uh, SD2S NES. Oh, okay. Just trying to tighten up uh, my list for Super Nintendo, and like, I always rag on the Super Mario World X because I have like a gigabyte of them, and you know, there's, and, uh, it's a, it's like a black hole to go down, mm. and uh, even whittling it down to like the 180 or whatever really good ones that I had in my list, I knew that there were some that were still broken, so I tested every single one on hardware. Ooh. That's crazy. In a stream, yeah, that's when you're really desperate for content. That's what you start doing. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I guess now i got to ask about the Super FX stuff, because I, I only really had about 20 minutes to play with it, and I was totally blown away that that was working, because it was rumored as something that would almost never happen. Yeah, lots of people said it, it wasn't possible. Uh, a few of us had theories that it was technically possible just based on, um, if you look at, uh, the, there's a, a page where Ikari has the roadmap for the SD2S NES, what's coming in the future. Mm -hmm. And like version 1.1 that he has planned for like, it's always a few years from now. But it says on there, start work on Super SuperFX and SA1 implementation. Mm -hmm. And that when the maker of something is saying, well, I'll start work on something, you think, well, it's not technically impossible. Fair but, enough. Um, what happened was uh, two people were actually working, well, actually three different people were working on uh, a SuperFX implementation for the FPGA in SD2SNES, like a new core for it. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was kind of moving slow, and then out of nowhere, uh, Red Guy dropped this bomb on us, a working Super FX core that uh, right off the bat it supported like Yoshi every game basically. Even mm-hmm. Some of them were a little buggy at first, but uh, Yoshi's Island, Star Fox Two, and then all the weird. I mean, what's interesting to me is when something doesn't just work for the games it's designed for, like the Super NT. I'm sure they tested the official games on it, mm-hmm. but uh, when it works for everything else too. So, like, I went yeah. through in a stream and I tested, even on one of the really early Super FX core releases, I tested every single ROM that used, uh, that had S- Super FX in it. So there's maybe 30 of them. Mm-hmm. And they all worked. Like, every single one. Yeah, we played Yoshi's yeah. Island MSU 1, and that even worked. Mm-hmm. So that's that's pretty awesome. Yeah, he even, and he spent, uh, Red Guy spent a lot of time. It's not like, so the MSU 1 thing, he had to fit that in there. And that's, he basically spent probably a week of his life just working on MSU1 implementation for that one MSU1 game we have right now, Yoshi's Island. Yeah, that's but incredible. But it opens the door to a Star Fox or anything else like that. And uh, I've seen on the forums that he's been uh, he's been taking feedback and bug fixes, and in the last week he's put out two updates. I believe it's up to version 10 now. So. Yeah, version 10 uh, just came out last night. Mm-hmm. And um, So what's cool is the Super FX core, like you said, right now it's it's very mature already. I mean, it's gone from being kind of buggy and things were a little slow to like, in order to see the differences, people are having to do like the, you know, side by side frame capturing to see if something's in sync. Mm-hmm. And uh, in addition to that, uh, Kari and Red Guy work, are working together on this, which is cool. And we even have like a new menu option for uh, speeding up the SuperVex chip, which is something, you know, before, in order to do that, you needed to buy or make your own repro, put a crystal oscillator on there, hack the ROM, do all sorts of crazy stuff, and now it's just like there's a menu option, speed up speed up Star Fox if you want to, although it's kind of hard to play that way, but Yeah, really that's cool. absolutely nuts. So that's something I really, uh, and not only that, I believe he has an option to disable and enable in-game hooks, so things mm-hmm. like returning back to the SD to SNES menu while you're in your game didn't work on the version I played because it could sometimes cause issues with games. So now there's a version, uh, the newest version turns that on and off, uh, or an option to turn that mm-hmm. on and off. So yeah, it's just, uh, you know, so much respect for the guy and the fact that he's just releasing it to the community and then continue to update it. It's a, it's a very good time to be a fan of the Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah, he's been... Uh... So the it's like it's a very advanced kind of thing that he's doing. Originally, the um, in-game hooks didn't work, so he had to disable them. Then he introduced a feature that automatically detected if it's a Super FX game, and it disabled in-game hooks. And now I think in version nine, he re-implemented in-game hooks for everything except for Doom. So they actually they're they're all working again. Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, and another thing I want to talk about because last week in your roundup you covered uh, the version eight coming out. Yes, so now it's on and 10 as of the recording year. Mm-hmm. I was there behind the scenes in that version 7, version 8 transition. Uh, there was a lot of it. A lot of it happened on Discord, the discussions, what Red Guy was doing. And what happened was something really cool. And it's kind of slipped under all of our radars. So the version 7 to version 8 was a major revision, not just for Super FX, but it's a discovery for like all of uh, Super Nintendo de- development world. So... Uh, Opterock, the guy who does the awesome uh, Super Famicom Wars English translation, and mm-hmm. Red Guy were chatting. And Opterock had been looking into He found on the SD2S and SPCB, there's this spare 4 megabit SRAM chip. Mm-hmm. 
and it looked like nothing ever used it. Like ever, this SD two S nest doesn't use it. Nothing ever used it. It's just sitting out there. Uh, but the calls are there and the firmware to use it if you want to. And so he contacted Akari about it. And Akari is like, oh, yeah, that's I was going to originally do this way of having a spare save be written there as battery backed RAM in case, some, in case your system, you powered off while it was writing or something, and that would be a backup. But he, he, uh, that hasn't been implemented yet. And he said it could also be of use to people working on custom chips that have two different buses, huh. like... SuperFX and SA1 are the two that have that. So uh, Octorok and Red Guy were working that out, and Red Guy's like, "Oh my God, I could, I could rewrite this thing from scratch, and it would be way more. Uh, it'd be a lot faster, it'd be a lot cleaner, the memory architecture and everything. It would just be a huge job." And so he said that, and then nobody heard from him for like a week, <laughs> and he's generally on Discord. And uh, when he came back, it was that version 8 release popped up, and it's like there was one little line on the bottom that's like implemented extra SRAM chip. And then all of a sudden people are look, are doing comparisons between Yoshi's Island, and it's like all of a sudden it's frame perfect pretty much. You know, it like drops a frame every couple minutes or something. Holy crap, I didn't know that at all. Mm-hmm. And, wow. uh Yeah, so for all of us like uh, licking our chops for SA1, that could be the thing that makes it possible. Technically, there's nothing really stopping SA1. Uh, people get confused because people will think you have to implement all of the SA1 chip, and that might be impossible in an FPGA. But if you look at the parts that the Super Nintendo games use of the SA1, they don't actually use all of the, the features of the chip. And, and what are uh, some examples of SA1 games? SA1 is like Super Mario RPG is the big one for most people. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jikyo Shibari Parodius is... Uh, Shoot a really cool shoot 'em up that has like a stupid talking feature that it uses SA1 for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a powerful chip, and uh, but it does a good implementation of it will fit perfectly fine in the FPGA. The way the FPGA and the SD2SNES works is like it doesn't have to fit all the different BIOSes and chips in there at the same time. It will when it detects like Super FX, it reconfigures itself to be doing Super FX. Like it's not loading the DSP1 at the same time. So the same thing applies to the SA1. It just has to, recon- you know, somebody has to, well, I just say this like it's nothing. But I mean, it's good. <laughs> and I don't know if anyone actually working on it. So it would be a, a, some kind of secret project coming out of nowhere again. Gotcha. And people don't bother a red guy about SA1. A lot of people are bugging him on the forum like, let that go. He, this guy is working his butt off for SuperFX, and I think he he probably wants like a long vacation when he's done with this. Yeah, I would. I know I would. <laughs> so yeah, SA1. I mean, that's all pretty incredible stuff, um, and I, on top of all that, I do see on a regular basis through ROM hacking uh, all of the English translations, um, and as well as some of the Spanish and uh, other language translations of games that were never there. So this is very cool. Mm-hmm. So now we could do English, uh, now we could do language translations of a lot more games, even though there aren't too many MS, or, uh, FX games. I just, I like, to, mm-hmm. I like to see the world get smaller, you know? Having yeah. things in all different, a bunch of different languages really could, means that everybody could enjoy it, not just people whose native language was in the original port. So, Yeah, let's get uh, Yoshi's Island translated into a bunch of languages for people. It would be really cool. Yeah, That's the one that has the most uh, uses. If you like Yoshi's Island, get a SD2S NES now because you have essentially, there's like, I tested all 20 hacks in the, that I have and they all worked. 
And some of those hacks are a brand new game, you know, built on that Yoshi's Island in it. And they're very good. Uh, this guy named Golden Yoshi does some really cool ones. Uh, some are better than the real game, I thought, just jumping right into them, playing a couple levels. So people should definitely check those out. And you, I mean, that's like. Do you know off the top of your head the name of one that you would think to start with? Uh, Sorry to put you look, on the spot. Look at anything by Golden Yoshi. He looks like he's the most mature of those hackers, like in terms of uh, what he can do. Gotcha. That would be my recommendation. I think there's one called like Golden Yoshi Returns and Golden Yoshi 2 and things like that. And as far as translation goes, Super Famicom Wars was just translated to English as well, right? Yeah. So and, uh, for that's... people that don't know, that's Advance Wars, but it's a prequel, I guess, whatever, the Super Nintendo version of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so a lot of people loved that game, and I think a lot of people didn't even realize there was a Super Nintendo version of it. Yeah, I've got my Game Boy Advance right here, always at my side, and I, I take it with me and I play Super Famicom War, or Advance Wars on uh, when I'm on trips. Yeah, this is an incredible game. Uh, I've said this a few times, like, your top ten Super Nintendo games... If, doesn't change a lot, right? I mean, it's pretty steady through the years. Maybe mm-hmm. you add one or two. Super Famicom Wars English came out. I didn't even know Super Famicom Wars existed. Okay, Advanced Wars started with Famicom Wars and Nintendo, and then there's a Game Boy one, and then there's a Super Famicom Wars. It's Japanese only, so it's essentially unplayable. It's a turn-based strategy game. This translation came out, and it's like shot to the... I mean, it's tied up there with Dr. Mario and Panel Day Pond for me. Like, it's in the number one slot for the best games. You guys have to play it. It's like, I stream like nine hours of it for some reason. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I'll oh, definitely yeah. check that out. Yeah, Opterock is the guy who did it. He's an expert with Advanced Wars, too. So it's not just like a straight translation. It's like, you know, it's written in the language of Advanced Wars. Mm-hmm. If, if you know what I mean. Like, the names of everything are the exact same as what you're expecting from Advanced Wars and the way things work. It's just really cool. That's it's absolutely in, it's awesome. It's one of those hacks that, like, people who say they don't like hacks, like, you have to play this. It's Yeah, it's I think a big game. misconception is that anybody at any level can make a hack and post it. So it's very easy to find crappy ROM hacks <laughs> out there. So, uh, but I just... I try to always talk about the ones that, to me, seem like a polished and real game. And there's a bunch mm-hmm. for Super Metroid, um, and I've played a few others over the years. But finding, you know, finding stuff that's uh, that's quality is, you know, it's important because they do exist, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure to promote those. Yeah, I keep in my list. I keep a selections area because you'll have like. You know, Super Nintendo might have like a thousand, two thousand hacks, and you're like, "What do I do with that?" Like, I'm never gonna play all these, right? I don't want right. to test each one, so I kind of throw things that I know that I like into that selections folder to kind of bring attention to things like that, like because mm-hmm. some hacks, they're brand new games, and uh, they need this. Ad- and people like Super Famicom Wars. I think it worked years on that mm-hmm. making that happen. So it's like lots of work had gone into these, yeah. And it's cool that you cover that stuff in the news too. Yeah, I'll always try to. So I, I think that just about wraps it up for the SNES stuff, but saying it just about wraps it up is like, I, I don't know, it's like saying it just about wraps up that nuclear yes. explosion. Like, it's a bit of a <laughs> bit of an underwhelming thing to say, but holy crap, what a bunch of cool stuff going on these days. Yeah, I have one last thing to fit in if I could. Yeah, absolutely. So um, just this is just a warning to people that uh, we're finding, so if you go on eBay to look at SD2 SNESs, you'll see tons on there for like, half the price of what they should cost. And those are Chinese counterfeits, so those mm-hmm. are clones. And uh, you might think it's fine, like you think that those are just like the exact same thing, but they're actually not. 
some are actually just a super overdrive in there. Mm -hmm. So you have no way of knowing what's inside without contacting the seller. And two, we, we've known for a long time that there are pro a lot of them don't do MSU1 at all. Correct. Because they just leave that component off to save 10 cents, 5 cents, or whatever. And they leave the, op the, the new amp off and everything. Even though they say revision H. They're not. They don't have an MSU. They don't have that dedicated uh, op amp or anything that it should have on there. It has nothing in that circuit. Mm -hmm. So MSU one's out. That's the pretty much the main reason people were buying SD two SNS. And now it turns out it doesn't really handle the Super FX core, which probably means it's not going to handle in the future an SA one core if that comes. So just a warning to people: there's no cheap way to get an SD two SNS. Unfortunately, you really need to buy from. Uh, one of the official resellers or from Cricks.com. Yeah. So I just want to put that out because people have been reporting all sorts of problems and it's hard to figure out if it's because maybe they have a clone and it's come out that a few of the people who have been making noise on forums and stuff have counterfeit SD2S nesses and that kind of comes up at the very end. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I bought this on eBay from China. Right. So I actually, uh, I purposely bought one of those cheap Chinese clones about a year and a half ago. Uh, I bought mine, I think I bought mine from Stone Age Gamer or something, like I, I try to always, but uh, it, same exact thing that you said. It, it was kind of glitchy and buggy. Uh, even when I would put a new firmware on it, it wouldn't, it would still say the name of the old firmware, which I don't really know how that happens because it's the folder uh, but yeah, I mean, it's in MSU one did not work. So where, where mm -hmm. you buy stuff definitely will, uh, result in better quality, you know, get it from reputable resellers. Mm -hmm. There's a funny thing that happens with the mega Everdrive clones, where if you update their firmware, they just brick Yep. permanently. You mm -hmm. can't even like, even if you have an EEPROM programmer, you can't get them back online, which is funny. Yep. So, yeah. Avoid the fakes. I'm Spend the ten bucks more and just get it. Well, <laughs> it's a stuff. it's a lot more than a ten dollar difference, but it's For, yeah. money well spent. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'll put it that way. So next, I want to talk about some of the CPS two stuff. Uh, and just to let everybody know, I a, a lot of my arcade info. I would say. Yeah, Fifty percent of it actually comes from Smoke Monster. Uh, I'm still friends, obviously, with Art and Jose and all the guys down at iFix, uh, who hopefully you'll get to meet this summer if you get to go down to New York, actually. But uh, I, a lot of these things, I just never had the space for any kind of arcade equipment, so I never had the ability to really work on and tinker with. So I've learned a tremendous amount uh, about the arcade hardware world from you. So uh, I'll let you take it from here on the CPS2 news, because I'm always following your lead. Yeah, so CPS2 is um, it's the arcade platform that uh, we remember from the 90s that ran like Marvel vs. Capcom, Street Fighter Alpha, Alpha 2, all those kind of awesome Capcom games. So it's Capcom System 2. So it's essentially it, like a console for Capcom arcade games? Yeah, it's like if anyone's seen how the MVS works, how you have cartridges that slot into it. So there was a move in the 90s away from just dedicated PCBs, I mean, they were still made, to these kind of systems where the arcade operators would buy an MBS and then they would buy individual games for cheaper than a, a whole new cabinet or whatever, so you could switch out what's in there. And that's the same way that, like, CPS2 worked. They bought uh, an A-board, which is, like, the base, and then the game would plug into the top of it. And you could, like, Street Fighter Alpha comes out, and then a year later Alpha 2 comes out, you just pop it off and pop the new game in. And uh, Darksoft makes a kit that's like a flash cart. So you basically change the game into a flashable, you know, a reflashable memory cart. And um, what's cool is 
so recently, and so that allows you to play every CPS2 game. So for me, it's like a console that has like 50 of my, my favorite games ever made on it. Like Dima, who is on there, it's an incredible shooter. Just there's an endless number of incredible CPS2 games. Mm. And um, so CPS2 is the follow up to there was CPS1 and 1.5. CPS 1 ran, like, the original Street Fighter 2. Uh, 1.5 was, like, Street Fighter Champion Edition. And now, so Street Fighter 2 is a very reliable platform, except for the whole suiciding thing where it automatically, if the battery dies, it would kill ROM, but we can fix that now. Yeah, and uh, please, let's come back to that later and just remind everybody what the suiciding boards was all about, but continue. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so... CPS2, very well made, very nice Panasonic caps inside, a beautiful piece of hardware, actually, from, my, from what I've done on them. CPS1, on the other hand, is a rat's, like a hornet's nest of problems. They're impossible to keep going. I've tried it. Everybody hates them. You have to reflow the CPU all the time. Things break. So CPS1, keeping Street Fighter 2 on board online is harder. We'll put it that way. Um, so what people were thinking was CPS-1 is sort of similar to CPS-2. 1.5 is even closer because 1.5 used Q-Sound, uh, which is the format that the CPS-2 used. You remember the Q-Sound logo and all of that. It's pretty cool. I made a little standalone Q-Sound amp. Oh, yeah? Uh, that I'm going to use with speakers and stuff for my uh, PVM setup. But anyways, that came out of one of those big blue cabs. Hmm. Okay, so... There's been this move. We we started a bounty, and you covered this. Ooh, that was like a year ago, maybe, maybe more. Yeah. Started a bounty at arcadeprojects.com for raising money for CPS one to or CPS one point five to CPS two conversions, so that we can play them on the Darksoft kit, save the games, not have to deal with the CPS one issues and all of that. And um, the bounty is up to like thirty five hundred dollars. Last I checked plus a Punisher PCB, which is like five to $700 game. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a serious bounty. And uh, some things have actually started coming up on it. So there's uh, Street Fighter Champion Edition now was ported by Neo CPS 1. That's CPS 1.5 to 2. Mm -hmm. That's fully playable now on your Darksoft kit. So I have a bootleg Street Fighter 2 Champion Edition board that's like a standalone uh, this is actually basically that plus, I mean, it's this, the original game, plus it has Q-Sound now for the sound effects and everything. So I think he pulled those from one of the, like, Street Fighter II uh, special edition or whatever it's called on the CPS2. Anyways, so free game, new game, awesome game, one of the greatest arcade games ever made. It's on probably every fighter, every fighting fan's list, top five games, I would say, Street Fighter II Champion Edition. Mm-hmm. And now all of us who have... I have a broken Street Fighter II World Warrior board. I have a bootleg Champion Edition board. And then now I have it on the CPS2, which is really cool. Very and, cool. Uh, um, the same guy, Neo CPS1, is porting Punisher, the incredible CPS1 beat-em-up, which has never had a, a real console port. I mean, it's never had a console port, I'll put it that way. All these like versions for the Genesis, those are different games. Yeah, is it actually incredible. a different game, or is it really just a, a stripped-down version of the arcade game? It's a totally different game. So there's none of the original code or anything there for huh. the Genesis version. Interesting. So uh, Punisher, all of us want it. Everybody with, you know, who's into Capcom stuff, is that fully uh, 
ready to drink now. It looks nice and white. Let me nice get it back in focus. Yeah, a little bit. You can still see the ice cube in the bottom. It's pink. <laughs> Sorry, nice. continue. Yeah, so all of us lost over Punisher, and it's an ultra expensive game. Mm-hmm. And now that's been ported over too. There's a playable version of it. Still has a few bugs to work out. Neo CPS One did that too. Now that is like Christmas coming early. That is really out of the blue. Having Punisher working. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, there's kind of this snowballing effect that happens, like, like with when one person starts doing something, other people start working. So Mike Moffat also ported uh, Street Fighter Two Turbo Hyper Fighting. CPS one to CPS two, and it's fully playable. Like it's ready to go. He added extra features in. You can get into the menu and change options. Uh, huh. And these guys so far haven't taken any of the bounty, so they're just doing this for free. They're just putting it out there and doing. That's it. really cool. It's funny to see yeah. Mike pops up all over the place. So yeah. it's funny to see the different places. Yeah, He'll just pop up out of nowhere and be like, "Hey guys, look what I did!" <laughs> Throw it in yeah. the pool and then go back to doing something else cool. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, so Street Fighter 2 Turbo Hyper Fighting now on your CPS 2. Another free game, like a game I'd never probably own. It's too expensive, and I don't buy CPS 1 stuff. So yeah, lots of really cool stuff there. And then in addition, I can't remember um, when this happened, but so CPS 2, um, Darksoft released a firmware update that allowed you, before we were using ROMs that you would were decrypted like on a computer, and then you could flash them to the cart. Mm-hmm. So they remove the encryption. The encryption is what's held by the battery on a CPS2 board. And to prevent piracy, Capcom's like, oh, hey, let's make it so if the battery dies, it completely kills the game forever. Unrecoverable. Like, the, the encryption key is lost. Now uh, you can, using the updated firmware, you can just it, you can flash MAME games on. Basically, the key encryption's been broken by... Uh, the people who are working on it, I think uh, Team AVA launched did a lot of the work, mm-hmm. and uh, other people. And what that also means, so not only can you play, that's good for tournaments, like for your friends in uh, in New York in the fighting scene. I'm sure they love that because there's no more question anymore. Like you can use it on in Twin Galaxies for score setting and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's once you flash it, it is the game now. I mean, it's a bit perfect match to me. So that's cool. Wow. And that was a free update and everything. You just had to wire, uh, sorry, a few more wires in. But it also is, the really cool feature is it lets you now, if you plug in a game, uh, you can wire them up in sequence and rewrite the uh, the original game back to a suicided board. So, that, so Oh, you could actually recover a suicided board now. Yeah, and it doesn't even need the battery anymore, so we're, it's it's permanently uh, not relying on that key encryption. Very cool. So, so I mean, it's saving. I mean, the cool thing about uh, one, I mean, the cool thing about suiciding is the boards are really cheap because yeah. you buy a suicided board for your Darksoft kit or whatever, mm-hmm. and it, basically that's what it was. The Darksoft kit you purposely bought a suicided board because they're they they all work. They just were dead. Mm-hmm. And then you install it in there. So it's not like you were killing a game to do it. Now you can go one step further. I have a few suicided boards at home, and uh, I could bring those back online now with the Darksoft kit. Yeah, so that's now awesome. it's like recovery effort. And CPS1 or CPS2 is back on the menu. You know, like you can go on eBay and harvest those dead boards, dirt cheap, mm-hmm. recover them, put any game you want on too. You don't have to flash the original game back on there. You can flash it with Alien vs. Predator by Street Fighter Alpha. I mean, 
I might have to buy one of those suicided boards off you then so I could start messing with this stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll just send you a board if you need one. Yeah. I do want to ask just... your opinion on something, though, and I guess this is a bit more of a philosophical question, maybe. Uh, but when I had an arcade machine at my apartment for the one year I had it, wish I, you know, wish I still had one, but uh, the game, it was a Mortal Kombat arcade machine, and then I hooked a main computer up to it. <clears throat> and I never got into building a Switch. I actually exchanged emails with what, one of the JAMA Switch guys, and that's coming next year. But uh, the thing that I found when playing games like Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, even though you have infinite quarters, essentially, you put it in free play, uh, there's no cheating. You still need to be able to beat the characters and get to the end of the game, and you still need to build up skill in order to do that. Whereas some of the other mm -hmm. games, like the shooters, Altered Beast was the one that cracked me up because I, when I played that on MAME on a stand-up arcade, I realized there was exactly zero chance of me ever beating that game for real in real life. So a lot mm -hmm. of these arcade games that I, I loved as a kid, like the Afterburners of the World and, and Altered Beast, you really your ability to play it was based on how many quarters you had in your pocket. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to free play arcade stuff, that's not, you know, versus, so you're not fighting against somebody, and it's not something like the Mortal Kombat and Street Fighters, where you actually have a goal to get to. How do you, uh, how do you approach those? Do you just, do you sit down and play those shooters and, and try to say, like, all right, I'm going to put $10 worth of quarters in and play it to the end, or do you just keep pumping in the free plays? Like, how do you approach that? I usually, like, I'll try to learn, like, Demo Who I really wanted to be good at, mm -hmm. and, uh, like, uh, Pro Gear. So, like, the first time I play through them, yeah, you just throw, keep, you have infinite quarters or whatever. But, and I do this with, like, Battle Mania Daijinjo 2 on the Genesis, my one of my favorite shooters. Mm -hmm. uh, so you learn the game originally. It depends how you're, I mean, if you just want to have fun, you can do whatever you want. But if you really want to learn the game, like if it's a game you really love, yeah, I play it through with infinite quarters a few times and just learn where things are. And then I go back and I try to try to play it seriously. Hmm. And a lot of people um, in their arcades in their homes, what they do, I think this is kind of cool, and I'll do this one day when I get some cabs. They keep, they, um, you can have arcade tokens made nowadays, like custom tokens. Mm -hmm. And people will get a bucket of tokens made for their arcade, and it's like... When you're sitting there and you have to put the token in, you know, to get the the coins, it makes you way more conscious of it. Because, like, when you have a super gun, you just hit select. Like, ding, 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 ding. You can put as many quarters in as you want. Exactly. And the same on main. Mm -hmm. That's, that's yeah, pretty so neat. That's you know what? If I ever move out of the walk-in closet that is my apartment um, <laughs> and I end up having enough room for a cab, I am totally going to do that. And I got to do something crazy. I'll do something stupid, like have the tokens made with like Voltar's face on it, just to be a dick. <laughs> but I like that idea a lot. I like the whole like, all right, you know, free for all my friends to play. But here's your handful of quarters. Let's play until these are done, and then we'll go do something else. But I like that a lot. Yeah, That's very cool. Good idea too. Huh. Mm -hmm. So I have about uh, fifty arcade PCBs, but I don't have any cabs either. They're just too. Oh. Big. All my stuff's in storage right now in the U.S., but I do have that plan too. Like one day in the future, I'll have a basement with like Candy Cab, Neo Geo, and you know something vertical. So I do. Um, since you brought that up, then how do you play these arcade boards? Do you put them on like a piece of wood so it's a non-conductive surface, and then plug it into a super gun, and then into your RGB monitor? Mm-hmm. What I was doing was uh, 
I've been making the transitions right now. They're most of them are just the, the the board, and I pull the board out, and then I have some anti-static bubble wrap or an yeah, you know, something that's safe. I set them on that on top of a box, and then I have a few that I've mounted. I want to mount them all to cutting boards. Oh, you can get these cheap cutting boards make a really good material too. Yeah, that's a good idea. And then um, I play them on. I have five PVMs like a 20 inch and a 19 on my main ones. And then I use a home arcade system, super gun, a Hass. And for people who don't know what a super gun is, it's basically, it consoleizes any arcade game. That's JAMA. It's just this box kind of thing. You plug into the front of it, or some people make a really big one and it gives you controller inputs and then like RGB out. Basically that's where they start from. And you can get fancier too. Like some people put component on there and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I play mine at like, uh, you know, I have so you have inside of an arcade cab, there's a PCB that's like the motherboard that has everything on it. In the 90s, it was basically just one. Most of them were just one panel. And then as games got more complex, they became whole computers in there. And they get very, you know, you can't just plug in a box and then they work. But for the for like the ones that we like, 2D games, you know, Turtles, uh, Strikers, Neo Geo, and that stuff. It's just a matter of, you just once you plug in this thing, it's ready to go. So it's plug and play once you have a good super gun. Home Arcade System is the only super gun anyone should be considering in this day and age, by the way. Really? The Hass by RGB. It's yeah, the yeah. only one that has the correct, safe RGB levels and a regenerated sync, regenerated RGB too, and buffered, and automatically attenuated audio no matter what audio you put feed into it speaker level or whatever you get line level out because you were covering issues with this where uh yeah most people don't realize they think jamma is a standard for arcades it's that jamma is just it's almost like it's a it's standard for suggest... a connector that's it yeah it's almost like it's a we recommend this as jamma and then people were free to do whatever they want with it because you have cabinets that have special needs or whatever yeah. So like JAMA, it could be outing line level audio. It could be outputting speaker level audio. Mm -hmm. And that's not a big deal if you have a cabinet that has speakers built in. But if you're feeding that into your TV or your G-SCART switch or your PVM that has audio inputs, right? it'll blow it permanently in the case of the G-SCART switch. Unrecoverably will blow it if you have almost any, pretty much every single super gun out there except for the Hass is dangerous. And that, that applies to RGB levels are crazy on arcade boards. Now that I have 50, you start to see that. The colors are way off. Some are really low. Some are really high. The voltage on the sync line can be insane. That'll blow yeah. a G-SCART switch, too. That's what this new Seabock uh, or whatever it's called, the new Neo Geo console is from China. Mm -hmm. Plug yeah. that in. Try plugging that in. Your, no, actually, don't plug it in your G-SCART switch because it breaks it. Yeah, and it blew out it, uh, blew out that one reviewer's OSSC as well. Yeah, Matt Little Pixel, one of my favorite YouTubers, uh, yeah. blew his car switch. Because what I think they're doing, this is what most most super guns aren't actually, they're basically a pass-through, and then they give you like a SCART output, and they give you controller inputs, and that's not what you want. You want something that is going to regenerate the RGB and sync to safe levels, attenuate the audio, and give you the controller inputs. And that's what the home arcade system does. 100%. So if you're just passing through RGB, 
passing through sync, you're going to break things. And passing through the audio especially is bad news bears. Yeah, and so, a lot of people yeah. don't seem to realize, too, that different... Um, even if you have Street Fighter... Well, no, Street Fighter is a bad example because it's CPS 2. But even if you have, like, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat 2, you might get a slight voltage swing out of those, even though it's the same manufacturer, the same boards. These things are really designed for cabinets. They're designed to go directly into RGB monitors. And they're designed to be tweaked. Uh, if you see some of the... Um, uh, Jose's going to kill me for saying this, but they had a, a tournament at, uh, at, at one time, and he realized that the, the equipment that people brought were outputting the wrong voltage, so he, he hacked in POTS, potentiometers, um, to make sure yeah. that when he plugged it into his equipment, he was able to use a high-end multimeter to get the correct voltages, and he refused to let me take a picture because he had to do it that day so it didn't look pretty, uh -huh. and then he went back and redid it, and it looks like a typical really awesome mod job, but I just it made me smile because... Well, it made me scared first because if you didn't have people there that knew what they were talking about, you could have just plugged this board into a setup. And while I really don't think you would have blown the PVM because those things have a pretty wide tolerance, you definitely would have blown the switch. You might have blown... I mean, it's at least theoretically possible that you could have blown the capture card that you were going into. There's a lot of stuff oh, yeah. that could have gone wrong. And just luckily, there's enough people in the arcade world that work at these tournaments that just go, wait a minute, <laughs> let me throw my multimeter on here first and make sure. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So I'm yeah, going gonna... to. I spent a year building my own super gun. So people think, oh, you just build your own super gun. I'm like, yeah. No. You, uh, you can build one that works. I have like 50 boards, right? I've spent a year building mine. The schematic's perfect. The circuit's perfect. I built a sync stripper, I did everything. You, it works on about half my boards. And the other half, when you plug in, like I plug it into Primal Rage, you have to set all the RGB just to that board. And then you take it off and set another one, you have to reset it. The mm -hmm. sink, you can plug it into one board and it works. Another board, I have to have a pot on there to tweak the sink. Like, yeah. you have to have, like, Voltar-level genius to design <laughs> a super gun. Like, it's not something that you and I or anyone, really, even these people who think they can, should not, I mean, a super gun, like you said, it's... It can be dangerous in the wrong hands, like, and that's why yeah. I love the Hass is because the home arcade system. Because I spent that year, I wasted all that time. I built an unsafe super gun. I could have done damage. I'm glad I didn't own a G Scar switch back then. Uh, and the arcade, the arcade um, hobby was extremely difficult, very complex, high level stuff that you're dealing with. Everything was hard. Every single board, just going like if I wanted to play Primal Rage, that was like a 20 minute ordeal, you know. Mm -hmm. Once you get the home market system super gun, it's just a console. It's There's no more messing around with anything. Plug it in, there's no more setting RGB levels. You could if you wanted to. But everything's just, it's like it just works, like an Apple. Highly configurable and everything. Love it. And I do think and, you, uh, you, uh, you just hit the nail on the head, by the way, is that uh, I know for a fact that I can't build a super gun. I'm not smart enough to go through and understand every single piece of the puzzle. And the problem is a lot of a lot of super guns that are up for sale are people that think that they know what they're doing. And that mm -hmm. that's some yeah, issue. Yeah, circuits from the 90s. The same circuits oh. from the 90s. The retro electronic super gun is a circuit from the 90s that they put a SCART output on. Like it's crazy. Yeah. They've never been looked at by an engineer. Super guns like they aren't being designed by the Nowadays, actually, we have these high-level people on the internet, and that's what the the home arcade system reflects. Like, it's this new generation of hardware mm. where we're we're really picky about the seven three seven four seven three one four amp. What's on there? Like, that's the kind of people who are designing it versus 
some person who found something that worked for a game, and that became the Super Gun Circuit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I go. Well, geez, as always, crazy. every single time I talk to you, I always walk away with the same thoughts in my brain of like, now I have 20 more things I need to buy and a uh, hundred more games I want to play. <laughs> then you certainly just did Oops, that with sorry. the CPS2 stuff. I love it. I love it. Um, so I think we, uh, I think we hit, um, I think we hit all the news we wanted to talk about CPS2 related, um, the games getting ported, um, the, the suicide boards getting fixed. Um, we talked about super guns, which is something I want to I want to really spend a lot more time on that in the future because of all the damage that's been done, and because of all the people that have been been jumping up and down screaming for years, like "Hey, be careful!" and no one's listening. Maybe we could get everybody to listen now. Um, yeah. Did I? Well, Renee got listening about the voltage problems, and that's had a world of influence out there. And super guns yeah. are a big deal. And yeah. arcade gaming in general would benefit from people knowing about the home arcade system because it takes this this mystical science that's off limits to everyone. And like, as long as you understand RG, how RGB works, you can do, you can do arcade gaming on your PVM now. Like, it's it's no big deal. Yeah. Buy the game you want. Buy Turtles. Buy X Men or whatever. Plug it in, and it's a console now. It's a consoleized X Men arcade game. Yeah. Well, it's definitely on my list of stuff to mess with this year. So uh, thank you for the rundown of that. Yeah, I could. Yeah, I'm glad to talk about it. <laughs> All right, so I feel like we've covered the the things that I really wanted to pick your brain on. We got the Super NT jailbreak. We got the SD to SNES Super FX and other MSU awesomeness. Uh, we talked about CPS two uh, and you know my our rant on Super Guns, which is important, which people will be hearing a lot more of. Um, what are the other? I feel like there's a few other things we should catch up on. Um, that might not require such an in-depth section, but we want to mention. Uh, the one thing uh, I've been following that it looks like you've been following as well is Cave Story Genesis port. It looks like it's pretty pretty much at a point where I would recommend it as a, a complete game with, with reasonable bugs in it. Is that about fair? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, version since 0.5 now, I think it's fully completable. And uh, save games work and everything. So what's left are just the uh, bugs that people are tracking on GitHub for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. a really cool game. Yeah. And a new version just came out a few months ago. That right. That 0.5 yeah. was a big update. Yeah, so I'm definitely, once uh, once I get settled in, uh, you know, once Renee finally releases the triple bypass and sends me my Genesis back, this is the first game I'm going to sit, well... I'm going to test it with all the usual. Street Fighter 2 Champion, Sonic, all that, but... After testing's done, the first time I sit down and actually really play through a game, it's going to be Cave Story. So I'm excited for that. Nice. Yeah, I love Cave Story. There's a really good uh, 3DS port of it. Not the 3D Cave Story one that they sell. Right. But there's like an unofficial one if you have a hacked 3DS that's really good. You covered that in the news, yeah. I believe so, yeah. But there's just something about playing it on a Genesis, on an RGB Mm -hmm. monitor with that three-button controller. Yeah. Yeah, feels like it's the way mm-hmm. it's supposed to be so um mm-hmm. and you had mentioned a bunch of virtual boy or game boy games that were converted to run on virtual boy through that emulator that that guy wrote is that it you want to give us a yeah, little like there's... rundown on that mm-hmm. so you and i are both virtual boy fans i know you are mm-hmm. and we're gonna we catch heat for that i catch it everywhere people have this really bad impression of the virtual boy because they're uneducated idiots basically <laughs> is what well, it comes down to 
Yeah. The Virtual Boy is cool. I mean, it's it's by the guy who made the Game Boy. The problem is there's all these broken Virtual Boys. Nintendo didn't do a good job on the ribbon connectors, so they're, the screens are blurry. They get out of focus. Uh, they don't cause headaches. That's that's a myth. That's But if you see a really nice, like, perma-screen-modded Virtual Boy, they're really cool. Mm-hmm. Really sharp screen. It's a neat effect. And uh, the 3DS is, like, a direct... Uh, descendant of the virtual boy absolutely anyways there's this feeling so um yeah a few years ago someone released on the virtual boy planet forums this converter emulator kind of thing where you can convert game boy games to work on the virtual boy using the flash boy plus yep which is the individual game flash cart you talked about there's a new uh, flash cart coming that should be cool too and it'll work with all this stuff and nobody ever really, I mean, there were no ROMs out there, anything that you could use. Nobody did anything. It's just like it came and went. A few people were like, wow, this is really cool. And so I went and uh, I streamed three streams where I converted like hundreds and hundreds, all the best Game Boy games, every shooter, all of those converted to Virtual Boy. And then I tested them out because it's kind of hit or miss. It's like one in 10 will be perfect. And when right. you find that one that runs perfect, it's incredible because it's a new Virtual Boy game, a system that has, like, what, 20 games? And it's the whole Game Boy library, but it's not just converted to Game Boy. It has, uh, he wrote into the emulator a way of, the same way that the 3DS separates the sprite layers using the slider, mm-hmm. uh, there's a menu when you hit start with this, uh, with games that you've converted that comes up, and you can adjust the 3D effect between the foreground and the background. Mm-hmm. So you can play like Mario Land in 3D. It's really cool. So that was the uh, that was the one that I spent the most time with when this came out. Um, I took I converted Mario Land the original, and then I really played through four levels, like the full levels on it. I didn't beat the game on it, but it felt playable. It felt almost full speed and everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that one feels me. really good. It's probably the one he tested on. I bet. Hmm. But, yeah, so that's a really cool thing. It came in while I did a few streams about it, so you can check those out if you're interested. And uh, I have links to where you can get the stuff for it. And, um, yeah, I said on the uh, Virtual Way Planet forums that we should start, like, a Patreon or a Kickstarter for this guy or something because I would pay money to get that, like, 100% or even 75% of the way done. It would be really cool. Yeah, I think original Game Boy games are absolutely the perfect thing to put on Virtual Boy. Because they're always they're already tried and proven games that already exist that you know most of us who mm-hmm. own the Game Boy love. You'd only have to deal with two colors anyway, or the, you know the shades and stuff. Obviously, I'm being a little bit simplifying this, but it's not like you're it's not like Super Metroid on the Virtual Boy. I feel like that might take away from because mm-hmm. you have all these cool yeah. different things. But any like Metroid Two, I would love to play on the Virtual Boy. I think mm-hmm. that would be so killer. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, anybody that could pull this stuff off. And I'm really, really looking forward to that new ROM cart. Because while Richard Hutchinson did a great job on the Flash Boy, um, you know, definitely don't want to shit on his work, just being able to drop a micro SD and, and just have all of these mm-hmm. right, you know, right at your fingertips, I would, uh, yeah, I would very much enjoy that. Yeah, and I foresaw when I did, I do, a, I maintain a list, a pack list for the um, Virtual Boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's geared towards the Flash Boy. So all the ROMs have, for the Flash Boy Plus have to be padded to 2 megabytes. So right. I did that for everything. But I also kept... I was thinking about the future. Oh, one day there's going to be a Flash. There's got to be a Flash cart, you know, 20 years from now, 10 years from now in the future for the for the Virtual Boy, right? Somebody has to give it some love. And so I included a folder with the exact same thing, but with unpadded ROMs, just pure ROMs. 
Hmm. And so that list is completely ready when this new uh, Virtual Boy comes or new Flash Cart comes out. It's completely set up and ready to go for it with the unpadded perfect ROMs. Can't wait. I'm actually going to really enjoy that. So, and uh, mm-hmm. the only person I know that loves Virtual Boy more than probably yeah. both of us is Cousin Scott. He's got uh, he has his original from when he was a kid. And uh, he, you know, so yeah, we're gonna have a lot of people that, that I know testing these and and getting. Cousin the best Scott out of seems them. like a cool guy. <laughs> He's into the virtual boy, the Vectrex, Atari. He drinks absinthe, goes to heavy metal shows with me. Yeah, he's been my partner in crime since we were like ten years old. <laughs> That's awesome. So, uh, well, I think we hit. I think we hit everything. Um, now you have a Patreon now, which I already talked about. Um, you have a Twitter account, which I I, th- I hopefully have been promoting. If I forgot, I'm sorry, but uh, I will put links to all those things down below. And uh, anything uh, anything that we forgot to talk about? Anything else to mention? No, I think that's it. Um, I think we covered the coolest of the cool stuff, and everything else has been in your news, and I'm sure you'll have more of it in next week. So, yeah, the, you missed a lot while you're gone with Super Nintendo World, but you're all caught up now. So. Awesome. And uh, will you be having any more videos coming up? I know I've been seeing your live streams, but we, I don't want to say official, but official videos coming up with updates or anything like that? Yes. Because of the success of the Patreon, I'm starting to buy things to... this. The Patreon is just for the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's giving me funds to buy, and I need like a new camera body. I've got an NEX6. I know you have the uh, A6300, which is one that's on my uh, radar. <laughs> New camera. Most of all, I need a new computer setup. I'll get that. And I'm going to be doing, once I hit 50 subscribers on Patreon, I'll do a weekly stream. And then I'll be doing videos again. Right now, the hang-up is my crappy computer and my crappy setup here. And this is going to be all taken care of now. So, yeah, I'll be back. I have hundreds and hundreds of ideas. I have lots of cool uh, stuff around to cover. You know, I think I'll do a Nomad special early on love the nomad absolutely Mm -hmm. all right well thank you so much for taking the time to do this um if nothing else i recommend everybody follow you on twitter and uh follow your youtube channel uh if you have the ability to definitely follow his patreon as well and uh yeah you're um i'll be bothering you a lot in this coming year so people will be seeing a lot of you on these roundups (laughs) awesome thank you it's always a pleasure to be here and yeah welcome back Everybody's so happy. I saw Twitter exploded when you said, I'm back. (laughs) Thanks very much, man. I appreciate it. We all, you know, dropped, spilled our coffees on ourselves. (laughs) Well, thank you very much, and uh, I will talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. Well, that's it for this week. I still have a ton of stuff I'm working on, a lot of updates to announce. I still have to finalize all my camera equipment because I think I'm starting to look a little green by the end of recording these. Uh, But I'll get it all figured out one step at a time. A lot of big things coming, and uh, hopefully it'll be a great year. So once again, and as always, thank you so much to the Patreons for making all this stuff happen, and I'll see you guys next week.